This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, I've got an electric guest, Don James Bartley from the great state of Minnesota. And because Kyle is one in none, I get to ask all the questions by myself, and I'm okay with that. Because every time I have a conversation with this superstar, I get better. So I hope that that translates to this podcast interview and everybody listening can take just a nugget away from the vast experience that Don has. Now that I've built him up, Don, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Today's a, a pretty awesome day. So Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. So you've had a lot of stuff going on and we're going to get into all of the things that you've done to grow your your agency. But you let's talk just a little bit. Give them a, a brief history of who you are because your background is different than a lot of other people. I don't think that you're different in that you ended up in insurance and weren't intending to like most of us, but you have a skill set that you have learned that I personally feel helps you in your job today because of your work experience in the past. So why don't we talk a little bit about that to start out? Sure. So uh, my background is actually in child psych and chemdep counseling in sign language. So I had every intention of being a chemdep counselor for the deaf. Uh, went all the way through school at the U and then almost didn't graduate out. I dropped out of my honors thesis because I realized I hated it. So um, I did go back and finish because I had an awesome counselor uh, at school that really wanted me to make sure I got that degree. But uh, after working at Hazleton for a while, just really realized it wasn't for me. So I started a, a business doing process serving for attorneys, kind of got the taste uh, on a higher level of entrepreneurship. I've done other things. I had a donut machine in college and I did fairs. I had stuff that I've done. This was my first real business was legal process serving work. And the money was great. Uh, it was high risk, uh, high reward uh, in an environment not dominated by women at all. Most process servers are, you know, 6'4", 280 and, you know, not me at 5'7 and buck 30. Uh, I really couldn't hurt somebody if I needed to, or probably couldn't protect myself if I had to. Um, but I did that, loved it and sold that and fell into insurance. 
I had no clue whatsoever about the process server thing. Holy cow. Bet it's not a problem to call non-pays or cancellations. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. That's that's amazing, actually. In the whole time you're telling the story, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what a horrible environment for anybody to have to work in from a safety standpoint. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Nick Ayers that did some sort of process serving or stuff and said he was afraid for his life literally every day that he went to work. And I mean... Even knowing what you see on the news and stuff, man, we're glad you're in insurance now. I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I will say that I got out because I had been assaulted. It was the third time. Oh my so God. It took me three times to realize that I probably shouldn't do this job anymore. But I was good really dream. good at it and the money was really good. And that was hard to leave. So yeah, and I I mean I have to please believe in that industry you had because of of your demographic you had the element of surprise on. I absolutely 100%. I, I'm not going to lie that I got doors opened for me because I did not fit the bill for what was a process server. And I also entered another industry in insurance and didn't necessarily fit the bill either there, especially as a female owner, especially in the commercial lines, you know, sector. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to. I, I do want to spend some time talking about that too, because you say the own is the owner. You don't necessarily fit the bill. I would argue that extends to producers too. I don't know. Oh yeah, you know, 100%. how many, how many yeah. other people would agree with that? And I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> please let me be very very clear, because anytime we talk around this subject, it can become a very slippery slope pretty quickly. I want to be very clear that some of the absolute best producers I've ever competed against or worked with have been females. So I'm a hundred percent in support of them being in that role. I just think it's very odd that they're not more. And I mean, I feel like that our, our industry has typecast women into being receptionists, CSRs, account managers, account execs, you know, making it very, very difficult once you get a desk. And I'm using the air quotes for those of you listening. It Get a desk for you to be removed from it because now you're a vital part of the agency, which is kind of an oxymoron or paradox or whatever the right word is, that you're a vital part of the agency, but you're limited in where you can go from that role. And I think that um, I think the technology has the ability to help us a little bit with some of that if we're open-minded enough because I feel like a lot of those jobs – that were in by all means, I want you to, to chime in whenever, but I, th I feel like a lot of the jobs that the industry classified as CSR or account manager jobs, which were then basically the jobs for ladies, we're outsourcing a lot of that stuff. Or some people are using robotic process automation, which removes the need for somebody to be tied to a desk the whole time. And so it's going to be interesting to see that as tech develops over time, if that helps us with what I would consider to be the epidemic that we have right now. I feel like we have made very, very small inc incremental progress. Um, I, I see but more. I'll Go jump ahead. in and I'll, yeah, I'll say that what I experience in it, I've been in this 26 years. And so what I experience in it is women are traditionally more of a caregiver role. They have higher levels, typically, traditionally speaking, stereotypically speaking, there's empathy, um, and other skill sets that go into that service role, again, using air quotes of a service role. Um, I think that technology is going to replace some of that service role, but some of the sales role too. So there's parts of both roles that are going to go away. The question is whether A, those people in that service role that have touched on the sales side can 
can find enjoyment in that sales piece of it. I think that really, my opinion is it depends on how you sell. Our office is, for the most part, of the 16 of us, we are mostly women. And I can attest to that firsthand. All of my account managers actually sell. Now, they don't go out and knock on doors and they don't go out and hunt the business. But when that business comes in the door or we have a client and they are cross-selling, they are awesome at it because they're deep with the client and they sell differently. That's what it is, is there's a different sale. So I do think, I actually wonder if as technology progresses, if inside sales, again, air quotes, inside sales or account managers are going to possibly flourish in that role because those pieces of business are coming in and they're looking for that relationship, which is what account managers, traditionally female, are awesome at. You literally just perfectly completed the thought pattern I was on. That's exactly what I was going to say is I do feel like they have the skill set. Many times, you know, the females are the ones that are answering the phone to handle that service issue or to add the vehicle or whatever else. But, you know, listen, let's call it what it is. If somebody calls me and says, David, I need to add a vehicle, I'm wired to add the vehicle as quickly as I can. My job is to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. I'm not going to stop and ask about the kids. I'm not going to stop and ask about what's been going on, anything new, blah, 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 blah. And I think that there are a lot of agencies out there that are probably so focused on KPIs that they miss the fact that that's actually investing in retention and new business development. And so to that point, because because I feel like the people in that role are having those conversations and and they're actually having them in a sincere way, that bond becomes much, much better. It would be interesting to see the difference in retention in an agency if you were to take males and put them in the female role. And I mean, I don't know that vice versa matters because I only feel like you improve the production situation. I don't think you lose anything there. I I feel like you lose if you put men in that role for all the reasons that you just said. And I'll tell you, Josh Gurley has got an absolutely fantastic account manager that he loves that does exactly what you said. I mean, they take, they, they, they treat the, she treats the book as if it's uh, her own, but she's constantly rounding accounts, constantly selling. Now she is also, Josh does it the right way. She's not an account manager. She's basically head of commercial lines for his agency at this point by title and by action, but she does exactly what you said. And I have to believe that's part of the reason why, I mean, I'm watching Josh's agency grow. Josh was there all along. So was Andrew. And so were some of these other people, but some of the moves that he has made specifically for how he's going to handle his staff internally have put people in positions where they can really show what they're the best at. And I think that that's one thing when you typecast, it's completely out the window. You're you're not like, what does a person out? What what is, what does ideal traits or any of this other stuff matter? If you've already got your mind made up where you're going to put somebody. Yep. When I do some interviewing, um, and when we went through the EOS process, I kind of had to ask people, we did divide service from sales, outside sales to inside sales and service. And I, I asked people the, the hypothetical question. It's 425 on a Friday and you're trying to head out of town and you get two phone calls. One's a client asking about adding a car and one's a client saying, uh, prospect, I need a new policy. One of those two, you can only get one done. Which one are you going to end up 
finding or creating the time to do. Do not tell me, hey, don't tell me the answer because I'm going to answer the question and put my neck on the line. Well, I was going to say, it doesn't really matter. It depends on who they are. So if they're more service oriented, they're going to want to do the car change because that's a caring account management complete role. And they're going to let that new business piece potentially fall away. If they're going to risk losing something, they're going to lose the one that doesn't have the relationship. If they're more sales oriented, that new exciting possible sale is going to be more attractive and they're going to hope that they can scoop up that car change on Monday and still salvage it. You're driven. You can do both. Account managers, people can do both. Like you said, I'll do a car change. But I think at the end of the day, we ask what fulfills you? Which of those two roles do you want to do at 425 on Friday? Because that tells me whether you prefer a sales oriented side or a service oriented side. Well, I will tell you how I was going to answer the question. I was going to say I'm going to take care of adding the vehicle because I've already got that accountant house and I want to make sure I retain what I've got before I worry about going and getting something else. And that's not sales or service because Lord knows I'm capable of going out and generating new business. It's more of the mind shift. From my perspective, it's two things. Number one, look, you've got a a psychology background, so you you know this stuff at a much deeper level than I am, but it's part of my upbringing. I mean, coming from the grocery industry, that you're you're 100% service, service, service. You have to be in retail in order to get ahead. You also have to be focused on the top line, but you got to make sure it's it's, it's service-oriented. When I was just a producer, I 100% would have worried about getting the new new thing done um, without any issue. As an agency principal, when you start looking at profitability, mm-hmm. retention, and everything else, you take an even different standpoint. So, mm, you know, well, we that's- use, the- I use that, I use that to, in that, that question in my process for um, helping identify right people for right seats. That's what that is, is if you only have to choose one, you know, the game of have to choose, and you only could choose one, some people are driven for one side or the other. They they like the excitement or they like the relationship. And that helps me figure out right seats, right people. So, so do you feel like traction helped you in that process? I do. I actually would tell you that I feel like it it turned the agency in a completely different direction um, because we weren't dividing it that way. And I didn't have a, a super great handle on, you know, what parts of people's jobs fulfilled them and which parts were problematic. And it, it also really helped me solidify that that whole attitude piece. And we talk about it online a lot. You talk about it, culture, culture, culture. It's really hard. So it's really easy. You get a crappy, mean person in your office that sucks at their job. We all probably could fire them tomorrow. You know who's really hard to fire? And I've had this conversation with 100 people is the super efficient person who is bitchy or crappy or negative or condescending because every day they come in and they hammer out their job and you know that they're holding 120% of that workload, but but you're just tolerating them every day. And you know that so are the other employees. And those are the ones hardest to let go because you're figuring out how do I replace them. What happened for me was that's what changed. I had to let go of people that were okay at their job, but difficult emotionally and good at their job and really crappy. And so that whole environment, we it turned it on its head. And I, I'll tell you that I fired somebody this morning. Wasn't my plan when I had this conversation with them last week. It was 100% culture. 
I learned something last week during a conversation that I chewed on for a couple of days and realized they were absolutely not the, the right long-term fit. And I went in this morning at eight and let them go. And so stuff you don't know sometimes when you're trying, but I don't wait and I don't, I don't hang on anymore because I, I've seen what happens when we change that culture. So I know it's a, a buzzword, but I, I'm not going to keep people that aren't on a team. So. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I kind of felt like COVID would cure some of that when people had to work remote. I, I felt like sometimes it was just different personalities rubbing each other wrong when they're in the office the entire time, you know, every, every day, all week. But at the end of the day, nah, that's not what uh-huh. it is. <laughs> they're just not the right person. Just, yeah. Well, and what and I it, to- it is tough because, you know, my philosophy has always been number one, I had a much shorter fuse when I was younger. Now Andrea would tell you that I'm I'm far too patient. Yet everybody else would tell you I have no patience whatsoever. So it's interesting. But so the the moral of the story there, people, is my wife's got a shorter fuse than I. I'm just going to go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> you know the the reality of the matter is I used I, I learned how to handle people in a low hourly rate job who really didn't have any reason to show up for work because they weren't getting paid a ton to begin with in the grocery industry, but. We made work as fun as you can, but anytime I ever, any, any time in my life I've had to let somebody go, it's almost always been not a surprise. Like they knew it was coming and the conversation is really, really easy. I didn't make this decision. You made this decision. Well, here are all the things we've talked about and here are all the things that haven't happened. And I can only make the assumption at this point that you just would rather do something else, but you don't want to let me or your teammates down. So you're going to put the decision on mine when in reality, you're the one who made the decisions that got us to where we're at. I, you know, I didn't ask this person to miss 15 days of work in a quarter or whatever else, right. but you're right. You know, it's always that person where they've done everything perfectly and it's just a personality issue or whatever else. And guess what? Those are, and, and I'm not saying this because you let somebody go this morning, but those are always the people who end up coming back to to try and get after you know get you later, right? And yep. so you have to make sure everything's documented, all I's dotted, all T's crossed, and all of that. And I'm interested to see again, you know, we're still trying to get used to working with each other. I actually would prefer my whole team was around each other more. And it's yeah. just physically impossible at this point because we don't have the space. You know, I'm in a position where I combine two offices into one with little to no notice and we've got an option to buy the building and I can have the left-hand side, which I don't have right now, which would be absolutely fantastic for me because then I would have enough space and could do all kinds of crazy stuff and would never have to worry about getting more real estate again. But, you know, which in, in and of itself is a headache, as you well know, right? Because you've been sort of going down this same road where you're looking for, you're, you're pretty much out of the space that you're in now too. Yeah. You know, it, but just, you've, you've had some our, things on the hook. Yeah, our second location moved into a new office building on January or um, December first. So I had to move that location into something else, and we've outgrown the Wyzetta location. So come next summer, you know, we'll be looking to find something so we're not stepping all, uh, over each other. So, so talk a little bit about what it's been like. You know, the Coon Rapids location is one that you acquired. What has that been like going after? And is that the first acquisition you've done, or have you bought? No, it was the first one I've completed. I had gone through the process up through bids um, five, six times, but that was the first one to complete. 
So, yeah. So what's that been like? I mean, how have you, how have you approached going in and integrating two different cultures, roughly an hour away from each other? I mean, you've got technology challenges, culture challenges, process challenges, I'm sure. You know, where do you even start? the saying it's the best of times it's the worst of times yeah. <laughs> um, two cities charles dickens yep so i'll start off with this timing wise going into this hard market acquiring an agency that was about twice our size with our eight of the carriers of the top 10 we matched probably the best strategic move that could have ever happened coming into a hard market so that's been great i always say i'm very transparent so having not gone through a full, you know, like acquisition before, been great to have a smaller one to practice on. But instead, I practiced on a big one, um, made plenty of mistakes along the way. Um, the next time around will be super, uh, you know, more smooth. But it was. It was cultures where some people have been there. I mean, I have somebody celebrating their 30 years in January. So um, and hey, I have somebody they're, they're celebrating their 30 years in January. They're still there. I mean. Yep. Yep. Um, I also had to change an entire department. So it was a learning curve. And like you had said with, you know, I'm more tolerant. My team here that sees me every day at the Wazetta location will tell you that I love projects. I love people I can help and elevate. Like I love to see people achieve things in their life. And I can get sucked into wanting something more for them than they want for themselves. Number one. Guilty, Guilty is charged. Same yep. thing. Yep. Yep. You and I are the same in that. Person, and, I'm, that. and I'm getting better at it. Um, but in the acquisition, I had a massive culture shift. The locations are about 30 minutes apart. So it's not quite as bad. It's about 30, 35 minutes from Wyzetta to Coon Rapids. Technology, totally different AMS, very old fashioned. Like their bills for postage were like $6,000 when I'm going to the EBITDA. And I'm like, why are we doing that? I have people that are still through the end of this year are using paperport. So for those of you that have been in it a long time, paperport is a very old PDF type program. And I have two at the agency that are finishing up their use of paperport and everybody else has gone to Adobe. So we edit documents, we do e-signs through documents. So a lot of that technology, you really can't throw too much at one time. I didn't throw enough. Because I heard all of the voices of, please don't change too much. Please don't, you know. So I kind of did one at a time. In retrospect, um, I should have done a bigger Band-Aid approach and ripped off more of it at one time. Really? Yep, because it's just like that example. I slowly tore off the Band-Aid and everybody screamed every time I moved one needle. And... And so in hindsight, I should have done like one bigger one, like halfway through the Band-Aid and then, you know, and then done the second half because it just slowed us down. We just moved them to our phone system. They've been on Teams phones up until like October 31st. We were on Lightspeed. So for a year and a couple of months, two totally different phone systems. I had to log into Teams for one and Slack for the other and you know, and so I didn't do some of that fast enough uh, because I was too worried about rocking a boat. So, but today they're on our management system. We moved them to Hawksoft in February. Again, I waited too long for that. Um, 
And then uh, now they're on um, on our phone system on Lightspeed. They're on Hawksoft. So now I have to start getting them onto like agency Zoom and some of the processes. So the first was the technology and now it's the processes. So clarify for me, you say that you waited too long. Why Why do you feel that way? And, the, and let me qualify why I'm asking you that question <laughs> first, because I... Um, Prior to recording with you today, we recorded with Ryan Reynolds, who purchased a 75-year-old agency um, literally five years ago, I think. And it was, you know, roughly two and a half million in revenue when he got it. They're going to be a little north of five million now. And my assumption here is that Ryan approached the things the way he did is because he was purchasing the agency that's his primary agency and he was coming from captive to independent. You already have an independent agency. So you have already got the tech stack, the culture, everything figured yeah. out the way you want it. Ryan's Ryan's approach was he said that he spent the first year solid just working at everybody's every, all the different people's desks, getting to know them, getting to understand their job because he came from a very long totally. career with, with state farm. Right. And so he wanted to go in and gain their trust and do all this, do that. So I want to, the only reason I'm asking this clarifying yeah. question is for people who listen to this regularly, David, what the heck are you doing, man? You got one guy that says spend a year over here, completely different scenarios. You already have things set up the way, you know, you like them when you acquire an agency and bring it into the fold with an existing agency, that is a completely different dynamic than being the new figurehead of an agency that you're acquiring. I would agree completely. Um, I still think there's absolute value to coming in and learning. Uh, I I have an open mind. Somebody asked me once um, about whether I have more, you know, they asked like, do you need to win or do you need to be right? Or I don't know what the questions are. I actually could care less if I'm ever right. I, I don't have that personality. But oh my God, I will never be wrong. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm fearful of being wrong. So I do analyze. And so I do think going in, and even on this, I'm an, hearing from an independent to an independent, I went into it with, show me how you do things. Because what if they know something I don't know? I always want to know every every way it could be done so I can assess the best way. And so I went into it. I think the issue that I had was I acquired people with it, and I was afraid to death to rock the boat. I didn't want the people were telling me they didn't want change. So I didn't know how to make that change happen in a way that I felt like I could communicate it. Now I do. Now I've done it once. Now I feel like I could communicate that change and support that change. But this was that first one. So I did spend time. I met with each employee separately off site. We did a whole process of tell me, like, give me a list of everything you do in your job. And I said, let's go through what are the top, you know, what are the bottom five things that you do that you can't stand? I made them doing evidences of insurance, answering phone calls from mortgage lenders. And I literally picked off any of those bottom five things that I could solve either because we were doing it one way or through a process or through automation. I said, effective immediately, there is no more taking mortgage request verifications by phone. That memo went out and I said, the process is give them an email, let them send it. And they were like, really? We can do that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100% you can do that. I, I empower you to not stop your day and take that call. 
And so I was able to eliminate things that bothered them. And then I had to move into, is there something you don't like to do? Like I'm the first person to, I don't like financials, QuickBooks and stuff. And so I just don't like it. It doesn't make me happy. That's an EOS thing. What do you what do you do that you're not good at that you don't enjoy? Well, I'm not. I'm a perfectionist, so it takes me forever. I'm going to take somebody else half the time. So if I can move that, I have an office manager who loves that. That's in her upper box. Give me all the numbers you can. And I'm like, wow, here you go. I didn't hand her trash. I handed her something that she loves to do that I don't like to do. And we solved each other's problems. She has more of what she likes. I have less of what I dislike. That whole process is what I tried to implement, but I was really afraid of upsetting the apple cart with people. And I did have that. I had one very negative vocal person that I hung on to too long. And that was probably one of my biggest mistakes was not making that decision sooner because that person became the spokesperson for the entire office. Well, and it's interesting because, and I have to be careful because you never know who's who's listening to the podcast, but, you know, Andrea is in a role with some pretty significant responsibility as well. And it's always interesting to me when she talks about the people who are complaining because the, the one lady who um, seems to create a lot of the problems is always the spokesperson, yet nobody else knows where she's getting the information yeah. that she's allegedly the spokesperson for. It has nothing to do with the actual opinion of the office. She's just framing herself as a spokesperson right. to make it seem like there's more weight to what, what yep. she's trying to yeah. accomplish. But, I, you know, and that's that's the worst. You know, and, and the thing that's interesting, too. I don't remember if I've ever told this story on the podcast or not, but um, and this is probably not the case in your situation, but there's leadership qualities in the spokesperson too. You just have to find them and rechannel them to where you want them to be. And there was a guy that worked with me at Target that was habitually late, you know, every single day. Everybody told me my number one job was to fire him when I got there. Like, they're going, we're going to promote you. We want you to fire James. I'm like, Okay. And I was young enough, didn't really care. I didn't know James. James was my objective. So James was going to get taken out. And so <laughs> I'm working the process, documenting. And I finally pulled him aside and I sat him down. I'm like, look, man, I said, I don't know what's happened with everybody else who's worked here. I'm just going to tell you how it rolls with me. I was told that my number one job was to come in here and fire you because you're a problem. I don't view you as a problem. I view you as an asset because when you're here, Everybody works faster. Everybody has more fun. You know, you have a great sense of humor. You're miserable when you get here. You're miserable when you deal with me. But when you're with the people, you're a people person. Everybody loves that. So my question is, do you really want to get fired from your job? Or do you want to figure out a way that we can find out how we can get you here on time? He goes, well, you can't get me here on time. I said, why? He said, because my wife works until 11 o'clock and the absolute earliest I can get here is 1115 and nobody else has ever been able to do anything about it. I said, deal done. Your schedule starts at 1130 effective immediately. Do not be late or I look like an absolute idiot at this point and we're both going to get fired. So I said, if I can make your schedule to where you come in at 1130, he said, can you do that? I said, yeah, I have absolute authority to do that. Change the guy's schedule to 1130. He ended up over the next two years getting promoted five or six times after everybody quit laughing at me for what I did. They realized, holy crap, Carruthers actually figured something out. This guy's got leadership ability. He's either going to lead people up 
or lead people down, but people are going to follow him one way or the other. And so kind of to your point earlier, that's where I run into issues too, because it might not even be a patience thing as much as it is. I want to try and fix broken things. And I feel like if I see something in somebody, sometimes I may see something in them. Nobody else will, but I'm going to prove my point and do my best to get that out of them. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I don't. But, you know, I think I think that's an important thing for people to understand is just because somebody is a leader doesn't mean they're always leading you or leading their team in the right path. You have to figure out you have to course correct yourself. So speaking of leadership. Yep. We have an issue in our industry that we've talked about briefly um, in the difference of what happens in the agency. But I want to go past that because this doesn't this these these issues may manifest themselves in what we see every day, but they really manifest themselves when you go to industry wide events and things that you're only at once a year or once, you know, every once in a while. And that is the gap in um, the stale, pale male industry, right? White. Middle-aged males dominate what we do. And, you know, minority in this situation includes women. It includes all kinds of different races and everything else. How do we fix it? Um, gosh, that's a great question. I think that it, in all honesty, I think the fix, in my opinion, is a little more weighted on those that, and I use that term, a seat at the table, those that have the seat at the table, I think, bear more burden to open a seat at the table for those. And they can turn it down. If they turn it down once, twice, five times, 10 times, you know, have that conversation. Maybe they're turning it down because they have three young kids. You know, I had three kids four years and under for a period. I have four now between 18 and eight. But there was a point where I had three kids. I had an agency, but I had a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. And so me going to events was, you know, or volunteering or getting a seat at the table was really hard um, just because of other factors in our life. Uh, but I, I do think that there's a value to to looking at that that table and seeing where the gap is. It's kind of like we tell our kids, you know, they try to do it at schools. If you see a kid sitting alone, invite them to your table, you know, or go sit with them. Well, that's great. We say that. But how many of us as adults walk up to the person not engaged at an event or, you know, that you think has value, but you don't see them at some of the other stuff? Uh, you know, they may not be the same strong personality outgoing, but they have a ton of value. They just maybe need a little more invite to get there. And I and I do think it has to be intentional. I think we do have to look at who do we gravitate towards. Even I, as a, as an owner. I actually look at the fact that I'm primarily female oriented. I have three men on my team and the remainder, the remaining people are, are women. And so I'm very aware of that. Every time I go into a meeting, every time I go into an interview, I don't want my potential biases to play. I want to have the best person I can. And I literally consciously have to like put that aside and I, and I do it very thoughtfully. Otherwise, it's very subconscious. It just happens naturally without a lot of thought. And I and I think that's human nature. You know, I don't think that just turns off. I do think that it has to be intentional. So So let me ask you this because I want to make sure everybody hears your perspective on all of this stuff. What um 
knowing that you had the three young kids, assuming you were in a, in an operation where the people you work with knew, knew you had those people or knew you had those people knew you had those <laughs> had the kids at home and everything that goes with it. Lord knows. I know a lot about yeah. what it takes. My wife runs the house and her job. She runs circles around me. I do what I can to keep up and try and help, but she, she handles it. She's definitely a very driven type a person when it comes to that stuff. I don't think men have the excuse that they they were so thoughtful that they looked at you and said, oh, she's got three kids at home. No. I'm not going to ask her to come do that. They're not that thoughtful, fellas. So if you thought that was your fallback position, throw it in the trash. No. My question so they, to, to you the contrary, is. To the, to the contrary, I actually think that sometimes they look at that and go, that's a mess I don't want. I mean, well, I actually what I was think gonna say that, is, to the negative, yeah, that's the case. If they were... How I would probably handle that situation if it were here is, look, I know you have the three kids at home, but I want you to understand you're welcome to come to this position or this come to this this uh, conference, whatever it is. And I've got a seat at the table for you, but I completely understand if you're not able to do it. I think that that's the way it needs to be handled. Would that have been would, would that have meant something to you if you would have had that somebody approach you that way? saying, look, I know what you're dealing with. I want you to be able to come and be part of this. I'm giving you the opportunity to choose one way or the other as to whether or not you want to participate, but I'll support your decision in either way. How, how is that a bad way to, to frame that and very easy to do? It's not. I think the, I think the biggest hurdle is we, especially either people in a account management role or you know women in a smaller majority, smaller minority, I don't even hear about nine of the 10 things that might be going on. I, I don't hear about them ahead of time. I see them afterwards. I may not know they ever occurred. So I don't even have an opportunity to express an interest to say, hey, I think I would bring value to that you know, organization or that board or that launch or whatever it is. I, we don't even hear about a lot of them because we're just not in that circle. I will also add, having the background that I do, I understand and I respect the fact that dynamics are at play. You have women and you have men, and that makes some people uncomfortable. It is not always accepted, and and you can't go into anything and pretend that doesn't exist. Um, you know, I've spent time on our state association board. I I was the only female on our legislative committee, and I will tell you that I I was told I was picked because I was a female, amongst a few other things. Well, listen, Don, I'm going to make a very unpopular comment and I'm warning everybody it's coming right now. But if you ever want to understand exactly how men feel about women, just look at how some of these guys act when they're away from their wives at these conferences you're not invited to. Yep. You don't see it probably because you're not in some of those circles, but I do. And the behavior is absolutely yes. absurd. And it's so bad at one point that, you know, we were at, um, we were at a conference. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to name the conference because God knows something will get blown out of proportion, but Annie was with me and we went out one night with everybody else and we're about halfway through the night. And she, she looks at me, she goes, my God, is, th is this what happens when you come to these things? I said, yeah. no, this is why I tell you to get off my rear end when I'm in bed at eight o'clock talking to you and the kids <laughs> to tuck them in over the phone at night while everybody else is out acting this way. And I mean, it, it's so ingrained in in what we have become as a society more than it's it's not limited to the insurance. No, industry. it's not. It's everywhere that all you have to. And the thing is, 
you, what's the saying? You can't change a tiger's stripes. You're, you're going to know at some point, the behavior is going to manifest itself in a way that it becomes visible to the outside. So, you know, I tell you that because be careful what you wish for. You might just go from bad yep. to worse, to be honest with you. Yep. But, but at the end of the day, I think that one of the most um, interesting observations that I've had anybody make on the podcast specific to this topic was when we had Meg McKean on. And, and she said, David, you have to understand something. It is all, all of the big stuff. That's that that's easy to, to see. That's easy for everybody to understand. But how we get there is all of the small decisions that are made yeah. every single day. It's the carrier rep that comes in and wants to take everybody to the ball game, and the four male producers go, but the female was never even asked if she would like to participate. It's you know, it's the going to lunch with the marketing rep or whatever else. And you know, I had never honestly even sat and thought about that. I hadn't thought about it. And I appreciate the fact that Meg brought that up because it forced me to think about it. I think I'm a relatively forward thinking person when it comes to being open and honest and wanting to have the right conversations, because I do actually want to see it get better. I think the industry benefits as a whole for that to happen. But, you know, until we realize it literally is every single day, every little decision you make, and I know how men are wired. The first thing I think is, you expect me to pay attention to every... Yeah, I do. I actually do. I want you to act like a grown adult and sit and look at every situation and say, am I doing this the right way until it becomes natural for you to do it the right way? That's the only way you're going to reverse a behavior. Otherwise, if we leave people up, their split decision is going to be where they're comfortable and that's it. Yep. I heard you say you know, on a different podcast about our industry should be represented by... Uh, the appropriate proportion of gender, race, whatever it is. And so I do think if you're looking at a group and, you know, 50% of the population is female, and if there's eight people, four of those should be female owners or whatever, account managers or what have you. Otherwise, you're missing an entire perspective that is intended to make everybody better. If the four people that happen to be female at that table have the same open mind about being inclusive and being there to make everybody better. Um, you're not going to get four people that are going to man bash. I and mean, that also frustrates me when I see that. Absolutely not. Not what I want to see. I don't think there's any place for us to come at this from, you know, rah, rah, all women. I'm over here going rah, rah, great human race. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you know, the thing is, too, though. That, that, that's it, though. You know, if you're going to come in and, and, and man bash, you're, you're just going to push people further. And fr basically, in their mind, you're validating why you're not 100%. there. You know? yep. it, it, and I don't want that to sound like that's my thought nope. process. That's just how I interpret it. But that was the, the solo episode I did on Shop Talk, Enough's Enough. And I look, I'm not advocating that we take people who are of a different race or are female and somehow we're able to make them not a minority anymore. It's just that's right. that's the numbers, right? If you're a minority, you're probably going to be a minority. The equality comes, like I said, in the proportional representation. To your point, if there was a room and there were eight people there and women make up 50% of the population, if there are four people at that table, I don't see you saying, oh, we should have five or six. I see you being happy there are four because it's equitable distribution based on the population at large. I just don't know why we can't get that right as an industry. That's the part that frustrates me because it seems like 
relatively easy to see if X percent of the population is African-American, what are we doing as an industry to invest in that part of the population to make this industry known to them and then also you know, help them flourish when they get here? We have some awesome African-American agency owners that I happen to be personal friends with that I know do an amazing job. We need more of that because we're in a free market economy. We get to pick and choose who we buy from. If you have somebody who's a minority and they want to deal with a minority, they should have that option. Absolutely. There's room for everybody in here. And I feel like there's groups of people that aren't, you know, that aren't represented well enough. And again, the flip side of the question of how do you get them included is, well, where do they go to ask to be included? There isn't like a formal Here's the 10 people that decide where everybody gets dispersed. That's why my opinion is I think the onus of that responsibility lies on the people that are getting together for absolutely networking, for social stuff, whatever that is. I do think the onus lies there to look at that bench and see who you could invite to that bench to open the circle. I think here's the other part of that. And this may be an equally as dangerous thing for me to say, but I'm okay with it. Okay. And I think that the onus also falls on the females. Absolutely. And what I, and what I mean by that is if you are given the opportunity to come in and you have the ability, I'm not saying you need to sell your, your three young kids down the river so that you can go to an insurance <laughs> conference. But if you have the open availability yep. and you get the invite, you need to do what you can to get there. And Absolutely. You know, I, I can tell you this. If even as, as a male, I understand I have Look, I am exactly the problem, right? I am exactly the demographic that, that drives all of this. But in business, if I'm completely blind to that and I just look at my own journey, if I didn't make some sacrifices to make sure I got even a foot in the door to get to the right place, Understand that I may be advantaged and privileged to a degree others aren't for me to even have a chance to get to the door to put my foot in it. But if I get a chance to get my foot in the door and I don't seize that and I don't go take it, yeah. I have nobody to blame but Absolutely. myself because the opportunity was there. And I want to be clear. If you have if you have issue things at home that you need to be dealing with, you have kids you have to care for or an aging parent or whatever may keep you from being able to go, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people that bitch and moan about this that get the opportunity and then they decline it. Now you may decline it for valid reason. You may decline it because you've had issues with other things in business in the past and you've been put in uncomfortable situations. You may be fearful of the fact that you're going to go there and you're going to still be underrepresented and it's going to make you uncomfortable. But I got to tell you, if you want to see change, you got to be part of it and yep. you got to put yourself out there. And this is the one guarantee I'm going to give anybody who ever comes to anything that I do, you will never be uncomfortable when you're there, I promise you, if you are, it is self-inflicted because I don't view anybody as being any different. I don't care who you sleep with, where you came from, any of that. It doesn't matter to me. All I care about is that you're a decent human being and you treat others with dignity and respect. And if you work on my team, you pull your weight and that's where it ends. I, I mean, I've been in this 26 years and I mean, I can tell you there's a difference. When I first started in the industry, you know, it, it was really hard. And again, I ended up on a board because the one female that was on the board was elected to a position and they needed to replace it with a female. 
I had no legislative background, but I had volunteered to serve on a board and I was of the right gender. So I accepted and but my opinion wasn't actually of interest. I just filled the right seat. I do feel like that's changed in some areas and we've made progress, but it was really hard for a long time to speak up because there was a large population that didn't actually want to hear it. Today, there is a broader voice. You know, I mean, we do have a, a lot more representation and ownership or leadership roles and companies have done a lot to bring that forward. Um, you know, there's companies out there with, you know, female presidents and female CEOs and um, that's, that's a lot more prevalent out there today. Um, and I, I think we just have more to go. And, and I'm, I, I agree with you completely that any opportunity that somebody has, they do need to take it. Um, if they, if that fits for them at the time, women traditionally are caregivers for children, caregivers for adults, caregivers for everybody all around. And that's a harder burden to carry for some. So, yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm actually preaching to our own family here because you, you honestly, I'm telling you, this is a member of my community. You have no idea how many female agency principals are in killing commercial yeah. and they have an open invite to any of this stuff and they still don't come. So that's, that's where I'm getting at is look, people, you have an opportunity to come to Key West. I promise you, you're going to have a good time. I promise you, you're going to make relationships that are going to last you the rest of your life. But that right there, that one step is also going to drive change because there are enough yeah. people in that audience who have a voice that you're going to make friends with the right people. You are going to get that invite to the table. And then what you do with it once you get it is up to you. All right, there we go. And by the way, that number is like probably 25 or 30. Okay. Female agency principals in Killing Commercial, and you probably know like four or five that are actually, you know, coming to the events yeah. and doing that stuff. So that's where I tend to start having a little bit of pushback is, hey, you know, I'm over here giving you the opportunity. I need you to come and take it at this point. So I don't think it's just you. I think it's a, an association wide uh, issue. I think it's a carrier wide issue. I and mean, I look back at my reps and in all my years, I have had conflicts with two of them that I can guarantee you were because I was a female. The things that were said, the way they were said, what was said, the words that were chosen, uh, it was literally because I was a female. Otherwise, I've had no other issues. Or if I did, they they weren't as blatant about it. So Yeah, no, I... I I think we could probably go on forever. I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time. I mean, I think what, what have we missed? We, I think we've covered what I wanted to cover. I, this yeah. is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about, because I think you have an, an interesting perspective. And the other thing is I know I can talk to you. Yeah. You just have about 30,000 other people listening right now, but that's okay. Well, I'll tell you this. It's the best way to spend my 52nd birthday is talking to you. It's your birthday today. That tells you how little I have been on Facebook today because <laughs> I honestly didn't even I know. Could, I could care less. I'm the I you know my husband super well. And so he's my favorite person. And without him, I couldn't do a lot of the stuff that I do. But I feel bad because I'm not the happy birthday, get a present card kind of person. I'm lucky if I pick one up at the gas station on the way home. So the great news is is if he doesn't get me something, it's totally fine because it's not how I operate. So yeah, but I also know that you and your husband are very intentional in your relationship, in your travel, and the things you do together. And probably similar to Annie and I in that neither one of us really needs or wants anything anyhow. 
Yeah. At this point in our life, birthday gifts, eh, we'd rather take a trip for a long weekend together somewhere and just chalk it up to the birthday whenever yep. we do it. You know, same thing with Christmas. It's funny because when Annie and I got married, her family would like do the gift exchange and there was like a, everybody had to spend 50 bucks on somebody else. I'm like, why are we doing this? Everybody bitches yeah. about shopping all, you know, shopping for this stuff. Yep. We're literally trading the same dollars. Just keep your 50 yep. bucks in your pocket and buy what you want. And everybody wins in that case. But it's, um, man, it's been awesome having you on. I really, I've been looking forward to this. We talked about it a couple years ago and then yeah. I just let it slip the cracks a little bit, but I'm at a point now where I'm going to start intentionally going out and finding the people that have been dodging me and you were one of them. So thank yeah. you so much for coming on. How, how do people find you? How do they reach out to you? Um, well, I mean like email or what do you want? Whatever's comfortable for you. Uh, well, I'm always happy. I, I've had, I think I've had three different phone calls with, uh, killing commercial people over the last 72 hours at lunch with, with, uh, dinner with one, uh, from the Mavericks group. I, I'm happy to always chat. So emails, email is probably the best because I do get it all the time on my phone. So that's just dawn at mnagent.com, mn for Minnesota, Minnesota agent.com. But I will tell you that we have a new name coming out. And I'm, I just got my, I've had ever, well, you've seen the black and white logo version. We've selected our logo and the color versions came out this morning. So I have to work through that. So new name watching. <laughs> now that you looked at them without color, now you have other decisions to make. Yeah, now or? I have the oh, new gosh. logo, but now I have it in like 12 different color combinations. So a new name, new logo, uh, new emails, new branding. Um, and that's one thing I'm doing to solidify the two agencies. So for now, it'll be Dawn at MNAgent.com. It's my best contact. So, Well, thank you again for coming on. This is going to drop here in a couple of weeks, and I think it's going to get people motivated. It's a great time for us to reflect on the message and the things that we talked about as we move into 2024. Start with a fresh piece of paper, fresh slate, whichever cliche you want to go with, and make a commitment to just making a little adjustment here and there. That's how it starts, one step at a time. And before you know it, we're going to see real progress in like 10 years. But I mean, literally, <laughs> we have to we have to do the ground the groundwork first. So yeah. thanks so much, Don. Really Thank appreciate you, it. And please Always. tell Chad, tell Chad, I, I send my best. One of my favorite people. I love that guy. And so, do all the, so do all the spouses. You know, <laughs> that's, the, that's yes. the cool part about the family is that, you know, we we keep it in the family when when we're the agents and the agency principals are meeting. The people who don't work in the agency, whether that be husband, wife, whatever, they all go do their own thing. And Chad is one of them. And now he's got Devin and a couple others yep. that came last year. So yeah. there's a whole that, little that dynamic that happens. Him and all the ladies. And it was and it was his birthday too that first year. So he uh and they treated him, you know. Awesome. They were so inclusive and it was great. It looked I like he was crashing way. a bachelorette party. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and as the only female at that very first killing commercial, I also felt very welcome, very included, very valued. Um, you know, I, I that's why I kept coming back. So well that and the fact that you kick everybody's ass at fishing. I mean, well, there there's is that. that. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this up. Everybody, if you have questions, you want to give feedback, Dawn told you how to get a hold of her. I will tell you, this lady is a wealth of information. Awesome human being. One of my favorite people in the industry and one of my very good friends. I am so thankful that she's on here and so thankful that she's part of my life and my family's life. And even our kids are starting to get together and have have fun now. Caroline asks about your daughter all the time. So, yeah, so does Callie. So Absolutely. Yep. I, I'm going to let you run. So everybody Thanks, else, David. we'll catch you next week. See ya.
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 